Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you that we can come just as we are. Broken, wounded, imperfect, unworthy, and yet you love us just as we are. Lord, we thank you for your grace, for your mercy. God, we thank you for this church body. We thank you that you love us so much that you gave your one and only son so that we could be saved from our sins. We have so much this morning to be thankful for. And Lord, we pray that in light of that gratitude, that thankfulness, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be more like you. For all that you've done for us, we pray that you would speak into our lives so that we can show you just how much we love you. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And we lift all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. I uh, did not grow up in church. Um, I, many of you have heard some of my testimony. Um, I grew up in a household that was wonderful. My parents were, were great to me growing up, but we never went to church. Um, I got saved in fourth grade because I had a grandmother who insisted that I attend a church camp. And I experienced God at that church camp in a life-changing way in fourth grade. Uh, and my spiritual journey from there was a lot of ups and downs. I, I went back home and didn't really have any follow-up. So, so my faith went unmoved uh, for many years until I got invited to go to church with a friend of mine when I was in middle school. And that, that steered me in a new direction. And I, I went to church very regularly, church became part of who I was. And then, graduating high school, I, I got into college, and in college, I, I turned my back on my faith for a time. I, I struggled with the whole faith and science debate. Um, majored in biology with an emphasis in evolution for three years. Uh, trying to figure out what the answer was to our existence, to why we're here. What are we on this earth for? And then, God turned my heart back to Him. Uh, through many different things that were taking place in my life at that time, God moved in my life and turned me back to Him. And at that time, a few years in college, I spent a summer researching different denominations, trying to figure out what I believed where I stood. You see, my grandmother that had sent me to church camp was a United Methodist. And nothing against United Methodists, but I wasn't sure whether that was the type of church I wanted to land in. I didn't know if that was the type of church that I believed what they stood for. And so I spent a summer researching and looking into what different denominations believe, reading my Bible, trying to figure out what I believed personally. Long story short, I ended up becoming a Southern Baptist. I, I looked at all these denominations, and at the end of this, that summer, I realized that the Southern Baptist uh, statement of faith, let's call it that, the Baptist faith and message, was what lined up with me the most. As a matter of fact, their theology lined up perfectly with what I believed. And here's what really clinched it for me. You see, I believe with all of my heart that the Bible is the standard by which we believe and live our lives. Now, I believe truly, and even back then, 
I believe that the Bible is the foundation for everything we are as followers of Christ. For me, it's the instruction manual. What's the point in having faith if I don't know what that faith means? That's what the Bible does. It defines, it clarifies, it guides us in our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, here's where I kind of take a turn a little bit. I believe that traditions are great. I grew up with lots of traditions. I grew up in the Texas Panhandle. Tradition defines everything. But here's the thing. If there is a tradition that does not align with God's Word, that tradition holds no weight in my book. And there are a lot of traditions that we have that are great. Some of them founded in God's Word and some of them not founded in God's Word. And here's where I'm going with this. We're starting a brand new sermon series today called The Unique Us. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look through God's Word and define who we are as First Southern Baptist Church of Scottsdale. We're going to take a look at what we believe and why we believe it. We're going to look at traditions We're going to look at how they weigh against God's Word. And we're going to look at things that maybe we've never looked at before. And today, I want to talk about, I want to answer the question, what is a church? You know, I made the statement that over the next several weeks, we are going to define who we are as a church. Well, what is a church? What do we believe a church is? So take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, And I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible or an app with you, uh, feel free to grab one of the Bibles out of the pew. Uh, We're going to be looking at this passage in depth, so so open up. 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament. That's the last kind of third, one-third of the Bible. Um, It's after the book of Romans, so you're going to go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you're going to get to Acts, and then Romans, and then you're going to hit 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, if you are a note taker, if you have a tendency, if you like to take notes uh, and follow along and and look at stuff after uh, the sermon and, and study things during the week, today's a week that you're going to want to warm up your pencil because we're going to, I'm going to be quoting and listing lots of Bible passages today. So just a fair warning. This passage is going to be the launching point for for many others that we're going to look at in defining who we are as a church. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 12. This is Paul speaking, and Paul is talking to the church in a city called Corinth. And that's why it's called Corinthians. And in this Uh, letter that he's writing to the church in Corinth, he defines some of the issues that we're talking about today. So look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. It says this, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, 
it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. The church is a body. Now there are a lot of different uh, analogies, word pictures that are given in the Bible to illustrate what the church is, but I think this one's, the, the, the body illustration is probably uh, the one that is used more than most. Uh, you can find it here, you can also find it in Romans 12, you can find references to it in Ephesians 4 and many, many other passages. But the idea here is that we as a church are a body. Here's the catch. We're not a building. We're not a property. We are a people. The church is not this place. It's us. That's what the church is. But why do we sometimes think that the church is a building? Well, think about it. When you're talking to someone who's a fellow Christian, what do they ask about church? They say, where do you go to church? Don't they? In our English and our American understanding, we use statements like, which church do you go to? Or where is your church at? Well, technically our church is all over Scottsdale and Paradise Valley and Phoenix and Fountain Hills and many other places, because we are the body, aren't we? When we leave this building, the body spreads throughout the valley because we all live in different areas. Technically, if somebody was to ask, where do you go to church, you shouldn't have an answer for that because you are the church. We are the church. That's what this illustration is, is saying that we are the church, you see, every member is necessary for the function of the church. Paul goes into great depths here saying, not everybody can be the eye or the ear or the foot or the hand. Everybody has a special purpose within the body of Christ. So I've used this illustration in the past. If I were to take my finger and my finger said, you know what, I'm tired of being part of Chad's body. You know what, he's so bald and short his beard is nasty. I don't want to be a part of this body anymore. And the finger decided to separate itself from my body. How good a function would that finger be? It'd be completely useless. There's a cultural rumor saying that you don't have to attend church to be a Christian. Nothing could be further from the truth. This passage alone tells us that being a Christian means you're part of a body. You have to be connected. You see, the idea here is that when you follow Christ, when you step into that life-changing relationship with Jesus, you make a covenant with Jesus. Now, what's a covenant? A covenant's different than 
a contract or a promise in that it's more serious. It's more weighty. So let me give you an example. I can make a contract with any of you, and that contract can go its length and then end at some point once it's fulfilled. But 15 years ago, I made a covenant with a woman. And that covenant is a lifetime covenant. It's a serious covenant. There's no contract, there's no promise that would override the covenant that I made with my wife to be the husband to her and her alone. A covenant is serious. And it's funny that we mention marriage because that's another illustration that Jesus uses. So if you were to look at Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27, it says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, every single one of us are part of the bride of Christ as well. That's another illustration that's used. That's how serious our relationship with Jesus is to be taken. We are in a covenant relationship. It's not a contract. It's not a promise. It's a lifelong, serious commitment to Jesus. We are called to live in a community in covenant. So here's my big idea for this week, that little sentence that I want you to remember, and here's what it is. Covenant relationship is defined by connection and commitment. And I want you to catch those last three words right there. Connection and commitment. As a follower of Jesus, we are called to be part of a greater body, whether that is the body here at First Southern Baptist Church of Scottsdale or whether that's a body somewhere else. That's not what's important. The important part is that you are connected and committed to a body of Christ somewhere, a body of believers, a group As a matter of fact, the word church in the Greek, in the original language that the New Testament was written in, the word for church in the Greek is the word ekklesia. And ekklesia means the gathering of people. It never meant a building. It never meant a location. It has always meant a gathering of people, a gathering of believers, specifically when we're talking about a Christian church. Now, I want to give you three points this morning, three ideas that define who you are as part of the body of Christ, as as part of First Southern. And here's where I'm going with this. This sermon series is going to define who we are as a church. But in order to define ourselves as a church, we have to understand what a church is. We have to understand how a church exists and how it's supposed to operate. So here's the three points that define the covenant relationship of connection and commitment that I'm talking about this morning. The first thing is a church is made up of members. A church is made up of members. It's the idea that membership equals a commitment. You see, we live in a covenant commitment with one another. 
So think about the illustration of the body again. If my eyes decided one day to stop working, they said, you know what? We're tired and we don't want to work anymore. And some of you in this room are physically experiencing this right now. Would the rest of your body suffer? It absolutely would. The way you operate, the way your body functions would be hindered because one of the parts of the body decided to take a day off. And I'm not saying don't rest. I'm saying that you as a person here at First Southern Baptist Church serve a function. You serve as part of the body of Christ. You have a purpose within the body of Christ. And so what is your purpose? Well, one of the things that we have to understand is the purpose involves commitment. My eyes are committed to my body. Unless something drastic happens, they're not going anywhere. They're pretty well attached. That's a commitment. Let me say this. People come and go from churches, they join one church and leave it and go join another like happenstance. That's not the way God designed our church. God designed our church to be a body that's committed to one another for the long run. And if this is not the church for you, I understand that. That's, that's okay. I'm not saying that this has to be your church. I'm saying somewhere has to be your church. You have to be connected as a follower of Christ because you're supposed to be part of the body. So what is, what am I saying when I say a member? A lot of people say, oh, well, membership's not biblical. Guys, there's nothing that could be further from the truth. The word, some people have actually said the word membership's never used in the Bible. Actually, yeah, it is. Not just once, but over a dozen times in reference to the very idea that we're talking about today. So remember I said I'm going to mention a lot of Bible verses? If you're a note taker, here we go. Ephesians 4.25 says this, Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. How more black and white do we need to get about membership? Membership is biblical. Membership is commitment. Let me give you another one. Acts 2, verse 47. Acts 2, verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Their number? Their number means the people who were joining the apostles' teaching and joining that group, that gathering, that body of believers. 1 Corinthians 5 and 2 Corinthians 2. Paul deals with this moral issue with the Corinthian church. And in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, you guys have got to fix this. You've got to take care of this. And then in his second letter to them, 2 Corinthians in chapter 2, he commends them for taking care of the moral issue that was happening within their church. And he mentions that they took a majority vote to fix the problem. Guys, can you just vote with any organization, no matter whether you belong to that organization or not? There's not an organization on the planet. If I walked into a PETA meeting with a hamburger, they wouldn't let me vote. 
We are members of one another. We are the church. But if we're going to be a church, we have to be committed to one another. That's what membership is. Why am I making a big deal of this? It's in the Bible. That's why I'm making a big deal of it. It's there. It's black and white. We can't get any more clear message from God about the way we're supposed to be structured as a body. We're supposed to commit. And in our terms, that commitment is called membership. Now, I know that, again, some of you don't agree that membership is biblical, and I'm not going to stay on this much longer, but I do want to make a challenge. Why not? Why not become a member? Why, what's the problem with making a commitment to the church body that you claim to belong to? Why would that be an issue? Is it just because you like living in rebellion? Is it that you just love to say, you know what, that guy's the authority and I'm not going to do what he says because he's the authority? Is it that you're denying what God's word says? I hear the argument, it's not in the Bible, okay, I've given you some Bible verses, but neither is this wedding ring. And guys, I guarantee you that you're not going to find a passage about a wedding ring anywhere in the Bible, but I also guarantee you that not a single one of you has the courage to look at your spouse and say, ah, this thing's not biblical, I'm not going to wear it anymore, and toss it to the side. Why would we not have the courage to do that to our spouse, but we think we have the right to do it to Christ? We need to live in commitment to one another. It is no longer acceptable as First Southern Baptist Church of Scottsdale to sit by and say, you know what, I'm going to stay on the sidelines and I'm not going to commit to this. If you're a follower, commit. Live for Jesus. Stop sitting on the sidelines and say, yes, I'll step into this. I'll do it. Okay, membership. It's in the Bible if you have questions, come talk to me, please. I would love to research God's word with you and open it up. And maybe I'm wrong, and if you want to prove me wrong, I'm great with that. But I do want you to ask the hard questions and stop sitting on the sidelines. So, a church is a body of members in a covenant relationship defined by connection and commitment. Second, I told you there were three things. The second one is this. Not everyone can be a member. A member is defined by two things, especially when it comes to Southern Baptists. First off, you have to be a follower of Jesus. Again, if I go into a meeting of PETA and I'm carrying a big cheeseburger, clearly my ideology disagrees with theirs. If you want to be a member, if you want to be part of the activity of what God is doing here at First Southern Baptist Church of Scottsdale, you have to be a follower of Christ. You have to believe in Jesus and follow him actively with your life. It's part of what it means. And the second thing, especially as Baptists, something that we're pretty sticklers on, is you have to be baptized by immersion. And you say, okay, wait, 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 why immersion? Baptism I get. You know, you can see the command of baptism over and over and over. It's in the Great Commission. By the way, we're talking about that next week. Baptism is commanded. That's not the issue. Why immersion? Well, because Colossians 2 and Romans 6 tell us that the symbolism of baptism is that we are buried, our old self is buried with Christ, and our new self in Christ is risen new again. 
There is symbolism behind baptism. The second reason why immersion is such a big deal is the actual word for baptism in the Greek, again, the the original language that the New Testament was written in, the original word is a word called baptizo. And baptizo always, without exception, means to submerge something completely underwater with the purpose of cleansing it. Huh. Interesting. The word itself defines what it should be. So where did the sprinkling and the pouring and all the other traditions that we have, where did that come from? The first reference that we have of something other than full immersion comes 300 years after Jesus. And the reference is in an ancient document that gave instructions to Christians in extreme conditions. And the statement in that says, if there's not a large enough body of water to fully submerge someone, you are allowed to use pouring or sprinkling. Pouring and sprinkling was always intended to be an exception to the rule. For us, immersion means that we're buried with Christ and risen anew in new life. There's theology. There's belief in that. So that's why we believe in it. That's why we're such sticklers on this particular issue. It's because God defines it that way. So let me say this. Many of you in here may have been sprinkled. Guys, don't don't misunderstand me. I think that that's wonderful. But I would encourage you to reconsider whether or not God's calling you to take a new step in your faith and be baptized by immersion. And I get it. Some of you have been Christians for decades. And maybe it's embarrassing to say, you know what, I've been living as a Christian for all these years. I don't think I need to go through that now. Guys, just obey. Just follow what Christ tells you to do. Quit making excuses. And if you're uncomfortable with it, come talk to us. We will bend over backwards to help you live in obedience to God's Word. If we can help you take that next step in your faith journey with Jesus, we will do it for you. There doesn't need to be excuses for this. So, number three. So a church is a body of members, and not everybody can be a member. Lastly, a church is led. A church has a leadership model. The church has to be structured somehow so that it is led by God. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. That's 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Listen to what 1 Timothy 5.17 says. That's 1 Timothy 5.17. It says, Let the elders who rule do so well and be considered worthy of double honor. I'm not going to continue because it talks about double honor to those who preach, and that seems a little self-serving. The fact of the matter is, is there's structure and leadership to a church body. Christ is the head And Christ leads through leadership. We are called to do so. Just like deacons, there are qualifications for what the Bible calls overseers and elders. You can find those in the books of Timothy and Titus. 
One way or the other, we are called to be led. Not to lead ourselves, but to be led under the headship of Christ. And I'm not saying that the pastor should be the lead. I'm saying there's a team of elders and overseers that lead. It's a group. It's accountability. It's structure. It's organization. It's taking it out of chaos and giving it order. I know this is a message that's a little different from what I usually give. I get that. But theologically, we have to have a foundation of what we are as a church. We are a gathering of people. If the city of Scottsdale came along and bulldozed this entire property, that would not diminish the existence of this church. Because this church is not a building. It's us. It's a people. And here's the thing. Through that commitment and through that connection, we love and serve one another, and we love and serve our community. And we're going to be exploring that more and more over the next several weeks. So here's my question. Are you connected? Are you connected? Or do you just come on Sunday morning and sit in a pew and then go home and not connect with anyone here within the body? Are you serving a purpose? And are you committed? If you don't feel like you can commit here, that's fine. Go commit somewhere. Commit to a body of Christ the way God made you, designed you to be in following Him. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. And God, we know that this is a difficult idea sometimes. We understand that this is something that deep down inside of us, maybe we want to push against. Maybe we want to rebel. Lord, I pray that you would guide us, each and every one of us, in our personal lives to follow you in what you're calling us to do. Help us to live as the men and women of God within the body of Christ that you've called us to be. We thank you so much, and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.